No one has ever seen God. Uh, that is why the world is filled with so much confusion about him. Uh, remember those early days of COVID? It's perhaps a bit like that. Uh, something was out there, uh, something we couldn't see, and some people even questioned whether it existed, whether it was real, and whether we should take it seriously. And now the same is true with God. No one has ever seen him, so what are we to make of him? How are we to think about him if he is indeed a he? In fact, it could be argued that a belief in UFOs is perhaps more justified than a belief in God. Uh, Lots of people claim to have seen UFOs, even though those people are probably kooks. Uh, Some people have claimed to see God too, although most of those people have probably been locked up. Uh, To be sure, the Bible itself contains visions of God, Uh, but those are pictures, dreams. I'm thinking of Moses on the mountain or the holy, holy, holy of Isaiah chapter 6. Those are glimpses of God rather than face-to-face encounters. Uh, But surely, as John writes there in verse 18, it is true, no one has ever seen God. So how can we know what God is like? How can we even know that God exists? Now, aren't we just left to our wild speculation? Uh, I mean, we see this when we compare and contrast religion with religion. Isn't this the problem with religion, that it's really just a blind shot in the dark? Uh, Why lose sleep over something that is merely a matter of personal opinion? Uh, And yet, some people do lose sleep precisely for this reason. Uh, For some people, the uncertainty about God gets to them. Uh, What is God like? What is he doing? What is he up to in my life? Uh, Those things plague us, especially when we face suffering. Uh, it's a concern that we have, isn't it? There is so much confusion. Uh, Yet look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. That much is true. That's the bad news. But look at the good news uh, of this text, the good news of John's gospel. Uh, No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Uh, That is why we're here this morning. And it should be especially encouraging to you if you're in church for the first time or if you're somebody who is here and is someone who'd not yet consider yourself a Christian. Uh, The good news is we are not in the dark about God at all. Uh, We can cast off all of our wild speculation. Uh, God himself has come down. Uh, He's cleared up our confusion. And what we learn about him should challenge us and encourage us. It should shake us out of our cynicism, but it should also comfort us amid our suffering. Now, what we learn is that God, the true God, is full of grace and truth. He is comp- he's kind. He's compassionate. He loves us too much than to leave us in the dark about him. And that is what we're going to find over the next few weeks as we look together at the Gospel of John. Uh, if you want to know God, then look at the kindness and compassion of Jesus. Uh, But before we get there, John gives us this glorious introduction. Uh, These words uh, in chapter 1, 1 through 18. If you've ever been in church over Christmas, it's likely these words will be familiar to you, and uh, perhaps you're tempted to just glaze over for precisely that reason. Uh, It's easy to miss the life-changing truth of these verses, and and really the foundational life-changing truth is this, that, that through Jesus we can see the unseen God, and we can know what God is really like. Uh, And more than that, through Jesus, we can actually have a a new relationship with him. Uh, We don't just know him from a distance, but we can know him, uh, John says, as his own beloved children. Uh, And this becomes clear as we consider four things in the passage today. Uh, I have four points this morning, each beginning with the letter I. And now my apologies for those of you who hoped that uh, giving up alliteration would be one of my New Year's resolutions. (laughs) 
uh, not this year at least. Uh, So firstly, let's look at the identity of Jesus, uh, and then the illumination of Jesus, and then the incarnation of Jesus. And then finally, we'll make this personal as we consider fourthly and finally, uh, the invitation of Jesus. His identity, uh, his illumination, the incarnation, and the invitation. Uh, Firstly, let's look at the identity of Jesus, Uh, because what is clear is this. As John writes his gospel, he wants us to get one thing straight up front. Uh, He wants us to know who he's writing about. He wants us to know what he believes about Jesus. It's like one of those detective shows. I've watched uh, far too many of those over the years. Uh, I figured out there are really just two types. In fact, there are really only two plots, I think, if I'm honest. Uh, you see, in some of them, you actually don't know who commit the, committed the crime. You have to kind of figure that out with the detective. In others, you, you do know. They tell you up front. Uh, and the entertaining part is watching the detective figure it out. Uh, it, that's how it was with that 70s classic, Columbo. And now John's gospel is just like Columbo. In fact, it's nothing like Columbo at all, except in this sense that, that John tells us the conclusion from the start. Uh, He opens up with this clear hypothesis. Jesus isn't just a man. Uh, He isn't just some religious teacher, someone who shows us the way to God. No, he is the way. Why? Because he is none other than the eternal son of God. Uh, As we read on in his gospel, uh, John goes on to prove this. Uh, He presents us with evidence and he he presents the words of various witnesses. Uh, And what is he trying to prove? Well, this is the identity of Jesus according to John's prologue. Look down with me at at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And now these could be some of the most profound words ever written. And yet, we have to say, when we think about it, they're also a little bit confusing. Uh, What does it mean that Jesus is the Word? I mean, what are words, after all? Are they not uh, a means of of self-expression? We use words to communicate. We use words to reveal our plans. And we often even use words to accomplish them. And so it is with God. This is something we see throughout the Bible. Uh, God's Word is His self-expressive power, the means He uses to create the world, let there be light, and, and the means He uses to sustain it also. God's word is the way that he reveals his plans, and it's the way that he he accomplishes them. Uh, Through his word, he reveals himself. Through his word, God gives life. And and so, too, when we read Jesus is the word, what are we seeing? Well, we see that Jesus is the perfect expression of God's will. Uh, He is the way that God works out his plans. Uh, But Jesus is much more than just that. Uh, Jesus is the word in this sense, that he is the perfect uh, self-expression of God's eternal being. And that is why John writes, the word was God and was with God. I mean, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It almost seems kind of contradictory. Is the word God or is he with God? And how, he could, be, how could he be both things at the same time? If he is God, how can he be with God? Has God got some sort of uh, dissociative personality disorder or something? But rather than being a contradiction, in in the case of Christ, both things are true. And this brings us into the wonderful mystery of the Trinity. In making both of these statements, we actually see things perfectly balance out. If John simply said that Jesus was God, or, or was the God, in one sense, that would really be untrue. It would be to suggest that Jesus was the Father, implying that there's just no distinction between the persons of the Trinity. But there is a distinction. God is one, but he also exists in three distinct persons. 
Hence, Jesus is God and is also with God. Though, don't worry, I'm not about to unpack the entire doctrine of the Trinity. But what I do want us to see is this, the coming of Christ confronts us with this. It, it, it confronts us with this, this amazing mystery. It is a mystery we'll encounter again and again as we go through the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus is able to say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He and the Father are one, but at the same time, he's going to return to the Father, suggesting there is somehow a difference. And now some of our younger members in particular might struggle with this. I know uh, when you're asked a question in Sunday school, you often answer, Jesus. But then you're corrected. No, the answer isn't Jesus. The answer is God. And then the teacher says, but Jesus is God. You get confused. How can both be true? Is Jesus God? Is he not God? Well, yes, he is God and is with God. He is with the Father and with the Spirit. And listen, as you uh, get older, it doesn't necessarily uh, clear itself up. Really, as you get older, you really just come to terms with it. With it. You just have to live with it. It isn't like grown-ups fully understand uh, this truth. And no, only God uh, himself fully understands it. Uh, just imagine for a moment that a couple of dogs were having a chat. Now, uh, you couldn't really imagine that. It couldn't happen. But just imagine it for a moment. Uh, they're discussing what it means to be a human, how it is that humans think. Uh, would they understand? No, of course they wouldn't. And this is just creatures discussing uh, greater creatures. Uh, in the same way, there is no way we as, as mere creatures can understand the infinite, eternal, unchanging God. Uh, but at the same time, we have to ask, why would anyone make this up? Uh, why would somebody invent these words from John chapter 1, uh, verse 1? Uh, why would anyone invent a doctrine when they and themselves just couldn't understand it? Uh, no, in fact, this has the, the sense of truth about it, doesn't it? The reason this is hard to understand is because uh, the arrival of Jesus confronts us with reality rather than just speculation. It confronts us with a reality that is far greater than the limits of our minds, than the limits of our human imaginations. And so this is the identity of Jesus Christ. He is the eternal Son of God. He is God incarnate. And we might think, well, does this really clear things up? Doesn't this make matters worse? Not only do we know that God is unseen, but you're also telling me that in some ways he's incomprehensible. And that would be true if God didn't reveal himself to us, if he didn't do something to help us understand him. And that brings us to the second thing. We've thought about the identity of Jesus. He's the eternal son of God. But, uh, but John moves on to describe the illumination of Jesus, the illumination of Jesus. And the point here is this, that even before he was born, Jesus, as the eternal son, uh, has been revealing God. He's been revealing God in creation. Even before Christ came, we weren't really in the dark about God at all. In fact, Jesus himself has always been the light. From the very beginning, he's been shining in the world that he has made. Uh, listen to what John writes in, in verse 3. Look down at John 1, verse 3. Uh, all things were made through him, and, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And now one of the ways to think about this pro prologue of John is, is to consider it as a kind of prequel. And now I've noticed recently a surge in prequels in recent years. Uh, whether it's uh, Boba Fett or Obi-Wan, we tend to love uh, the backstory of our favorite characters, don't we? 
And now this is uh, what the prologue of John does. Before he describes the ministry of Jesus, the signs that Jesus performs, he provides us with a kind of cosmic backstory. He wants us to know that Jesus existed before he was conceived, before he was born. He is the word, the the self-expression of God eternally. Uh, But he also wants us to know this, that from the very beginning, Jesus has been at work in the world, creating the world. All things were made through him. And he is the source of life, the source of light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that is what verse 9 means, I believe, when it tells us that, that the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was already in the world in this sense, that he was giving light in the world before he came. Uh, the same one who turned water into wine and fed 5,000 people with a few loaves, he's the one who invented water. He invented wine. He invented loaves. He created and sustains all things from, from giant galaxies to microscopic particles. And what that means is this, as we read this book, as we work through John, we're actually reading about somebody we already know, or at least somebody we should know. This is a book about the one who made you, the one who gives you life. It's about the one who sheds light on you every day in the thing that he's made, even even within your very soul. You were made in his image. In the very beginning, you were made to reflect him. He's the one who, whose illuminating influence you can never escape. Verse 5, his light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But if that is true, if Jesus is the illuminating light of the world, we have to ask, don't we, why then is there so much confusion? Why don't we know God? Why are there so many different conflicting opinions about him? And this is a very big question, isn't it? But the answer the Bible gives is actually quite simple. We find in the Bible the reason we don't know God isn't God's fault. It isn't that God needs to make himself known more clearly. No, the problem is right there in verse 10. The problem is us. The problem is this, that in one sense we don't want to know him. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. As we read elsewhere in our sin, we suppress the truth. As Jesus himself says later, the problem isn't that there is no light. The problem is that we love to hide in darkness. The problem is we find the truth of God inconvenient. Instead of following his way, we like to live life our own way without him. And this goes into something we'll see again and again in the book of John. Wherever Jesus goes, even though he reveals God, confusion and misunderstanding abound. Uh, But what we also see is this, the people who are confused aren't just neutral observers. Uh, No, there's a lot of willfulness we're going to see in this book, a lot of selective hearing, a lot of selective understanding. Uh, And we need to know this about ourselves too, that that all of us tend to resist uh, this illumination of Jesus. Uh, We like to bury our heads in the sand, suppress the voice of our conscience and just just press on doing what what we want and so what is god going to do about that he's shining the light of christ in the world Uh, what is he going to do about the fact that we reject it it would be quite reasonable of god to judge us for that wouldn't it he gives us light and life we prefer the darkness and death and so wouldn't it be fair for god just to give us what we want Uh, Left to ourselves, one day he will. But this brings us to our third point, perhaps the greatest shock, the greatest surprise of our text. 
because God hasn't left us to ourselves. Instead, what we learn here is that this, this eternal word, uh, the one who illuminates our lives, the very one we reject, decided to come to earth. He came not to judge us. Uh, No, he came to show us grace and truth. He came to save us. And so then, let's think about this glorious mystery, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus. That's the third point. Look at verse 14. It's really a mind-blowing verse. There we read that this eternal word who was God, who was with God, who created and enlightens the world, verse 14, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now this perhaps rivals verse 1 to be one of the most glorious, wonderful statements ever spoken in human history. If the Trinity is a mystery, uh, how much more is this claim that the divine nature and human nature are somehow united in this one person, the Lord Jesus? And yet John doesn't shy away from these, these glorious theological realities because for him it isn't just a theological problem to solve. No, it's a glorious truth. It's someone that he personally met, someone that he had firsthand experience with. We have seen his glory, he writes. A glory that can be explained in no other way than this, than to recognize that he is God in the flesh, the eternal son incarnate. And as you read the gospel, amazingly, this is what Jesus himself claims. He does this so many times in those great I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I am the great I am. I am the God of the scriptures. And he doesn't just say that. He also demonstrates it too. He performs these countless signs that that, that are like huge arrows pointing to his identity. Uh, Do you know this about Jesus Christ? Do you know that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us? Uh, Now, ever since the Queen of England died, uh, maybe you've heard many of the countless stories that have emerged about her. Uh, Many of those those stories describe the way that she used to make a habit of being out and about. Uh, Little did anyone know, but she actually spent quite a lot of time amongst the common people. And now one of the stories I read was uh, my favorite. It was about an American couple uh, on a visit to London. They stopped by outside Buckingham Palace, and and as they did, they met this this old couple. I know they got talking to the couple. The old English couple actually was the queen herself and one of her aides. Uh, But unfortunately, these uh, Americans, uh, not seeing English coinage every day, didn't recognize her likeness. And so... uh, they actually asked, they talked, they said, well, well, look, do you, ever, do you ever see the queen? I mean, you seem to knock around here. Do you ever see her? And uh, her aide smiled and said, look, I, I actually see her fairly often. Wow, the couple said, we, we need to take a picture with you so we can show it to our friends back home. They'll just be amazed uh, to know that we've met somebody who's actually seen the queen. Uh, and then, then the man proceeded to hand his camera to the queen uh, and allow her to take a picture. Now, can you imagine that? I I believe the queen actually tried to get into one of the photos so that they could, when they showed these pictures to their friends back home, they would see the mistake they had made. Uh, They didn't recognize who she was, and and yet uh, this is precisely the problem. So many people make the same mistake with Jesus. Uh, They see Jesus as a mere man. Uh, They treat him like just some other religious teacher. Uh, They think the big celebrity is someone else. Maybe they even think that they, they themselves are the star of their own story. 
And maybe Jesus could stand by and hold the camera, who knows? And even as Christians, we can treat Christ in this way, seeing him as a means to an end, just a way of accomplishing our own plans, our own missions. But this is to miss who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is, is far greater than any earthly king or queen, and he didn't just leave his palace to visit with the commoners. And no, he came from the throne room of heaven itself and, and actually became a man. He came not to visit for a while and, uh, and just stop by. No, he came to become one of us, to live with us, to dwell among us, as John writes. And this is the fulfillment of everything God had promised from of old. Uh, the tabernacle, the temple, the, in the Old Testament, all of those things were really just, just pictures. They were shadows. Uh, in Jesus, we have the reality at which all of those shadows point. Uh, what an amazing thing. Uh, what an amazing thing to know that Jesus Christ, the perfect man on a powerful mission, was God himself in the flesh who would come to save us. Uh, this is what I mean when I say that, that although no one ever has seen God, uh, we can know him personally. Uh, no one has ever seen God, uh, writes John in verse 18, but the only God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And he's made himself known, not just from a distance, but up close and personal. And so we don't have to be confused. Uh, we don't have to be anxious about who God is and, and what God is like. We don't have to worry that God doesn't care or that he isn't involved in the world. We don't have to fear that God is somehow some sort of tyrant. If we want to know God, if we want to see the unseen God, all we have to do is look at Jesus. And that is precisely what we're going to do for the next few weeks as we work through the Gospel of John. And what we'll see is this, that it, it isn't just the identity of Jesus that we see in the illumination of Jesus, but we're going to be struck with by the wonder of his incarnation. And as we are, we're going to meet, and again and again, the final thing that we see in our text. Uh, so let's close, uh, having considered those things now, by thinking about the invitation of Jesus. Uh, the invitation, that's our fourth and final point, because everything that we've just said demands a response, doesn't it? In fact, written large over uh, these words of John 1 are really a huge RSVP. In one sense, our response is at the very center. In fact, you can see it at the very heart of the passage in verses 10 through 12. Take a look at verses 10 through 12 with me. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. As we read the Gospel of John, we'll see that rejection is a huge theme especially the rejection of Jesus by the Jewish religious leaders. And yet for all the rejection he faced, we find that many, often surprising people, indeed did receive him. They did believe in his name. In fact, some have even suggested that this phrase could be kind of an outline for the book. Uh, chapters, 12 through, uh, chapters 2 through 12 uh, describe how Jesus came to his own and his own did not uh, receive him. And yet in 12 through 21, we see the blessing uh, for those who do receive him. And this is the invitation to us all. Look at verse 12. Uh, John tells us, yes, that his own people did not receive him, but, but look at verse 12. Look at the great privilege uh, that he describes to those who do. At verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. That, that word right is a very strong word. It describes a, a right that is far greater than any inalienable right afforded to you by the American Constitution. Uh, 
It is the right to become children of God, to experience new life, new birth, a new identity, a place in the family of the God of the universe. We often make the mistake of saying things like this. Often we act as if all of us are God's children. I suppose that is true in one sense. God created us all. We are all his children in that sense. But, but, but the invitation here is to become God's children in a special sense, in a, in a new way. It is to become members of his family, to belong in his home, to spend eternity there with him. You see, we've considered the identity of Jesus, that he's the eternal son. We've looked at the illumination of Jesus, how he shines on us even in creation. And then we've thought about the wonder of the incarnation, how he, as the eternal word, the eternal light, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He became one of us so that we could know God, so that we could experience his glory, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the only Son has made him known. But all of that leads up to this. Inherent in all of this, we're confronted with a choice. To know God, to experience his grace and truth, we have to receive Jesus Christ. We have to believe in him. We have to trust him. And I think that presents us with both a comfort and a challenge, doesn't it? It, it comforts us because it clears up our confusion. And yet it presents us with a very clear challenge too, doesn't it? A, a challenge because I think sometimes we prefer the ambiguity. Uh, no one has ever seen God, and so, well, God is just a matter of opinion. You can, you can just decide for yourself. You can go and figure out your own truth. Uh, but because the only God who is at the Father's side, because he has made him known, we don't get to decide for ourselves. Uh, rather, we're confronted with reality. Instead, we have to bow the knee to him. We have to accept his revelation. We have to believe in him. We have to trust him. And now maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you're ready to do it now. If so, then, then don't wait. Pray a very simple prayer. Ask Jesus to open your eyes. Ask Jesus to forgive you. I ask Jesus to make you one of his children, to bring you into his family. Uh, this is the right he extends to everyone who receives him, who believes in his name. They will become God's children. Uh, and if maybe you're not ready to do that, let me encourage you, read the Gospel of John. Uh, read these words and, and in fact, come back uh, and learn more about them next week. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be working through this book. And this morning, all we really have is this, this brief introduction. All we have is this backstory that's really designed just to, to whet our appetite, to, to leave us wanting more of, of this glory, this grace of the Lord Jesus. And so it's my hope as we continue. And so let's all of us pray as we continue in John for God to open our eyes to help us personally see his glory, whether we're, we're new to the faith or whether we've been Christians for years. Uh, we have seen his glory, writes John, full of grace and truth. Uh, may we see his glory true, the glory of the unseen God. He has made him known. And so may God in his grace lead us into his truth. In fact, let's ask him to do that now, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, this great truth that, no one has, that although no one has ever seen you, you have made yourself known in your Son, the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to know him. And in knowing him, help us to know and see you. And, Lord, may what we learn about you challenge and comfort and encourage us. 
Even as we work through John, open our eyes to see glorious things of our Lord and Savior. And we pray this in his name. Amen.